Hello everyone, welcome back to Cloisterbell. Today we're talking about the Star Beast. I'm Rob. I'm Liam. And we're back. Yeah, we're here in the start of a new era of the show. Yeah, the uh, the 60th anniversary is uh, officially started. Mm. So, have you got the same kind of feels that you had at the 50th? Or did that seem like more, more of an event? I think the 50th felt more like an event. Um, it seemed massive. It... Um, don't get me wrong, there's been some momentum and, and build-up with the 60th, but um, the popularity of the show, it's 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 not the same, is, is, is probably what I will say. Whereas, you know, d- d- when David Tennant first uh, played the Doctor, it just seemed to be every season was more popular than the last. It reached a massive peak. And then I think it was very fortunate uh, for the show that that success managed to continue into the Matt Smith era, and then it just built up to the 50th. Um, you know, and it was not only that, but it was it was, it was was being shown in the cinema, and uh, the week that that was on, it was number one in the box office, um, which was just, <laughs> wow, that's fantastic, you know. It was being massive, massive, you know, so for that one week it was at the cinema. It was only on the cinema for that one day, and yet it was number one in the box office. Amazing. So, yeah, it was massively, massively popular, and I think that was probably the peak of the show's success and then nothing necessarily with what the show was doing because I think um, Peter Capaldi's first season in particular I thought was you know was very strong but the show had been going on for several years and it didn't quite have the the freshness of what had gone on before if you like Um, whereas this I think yeah there is a little bit of um, uh, momentum with it but yeah it doesn't quite feel the same what do you think? Um, yeah, I don't quite get the same feeling from it. It must be great for those who were like kids when the David Tennant stuff stuff came out. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, a lot of nostalgia there, um, which I guess we don't get as much. But it's yeah, it's, it's a it's a rare thing to happen. Um, that would be thrown back into a certain era of the show. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm kind of appreciating it while we've got it. So before we move on to it, have you been up to much? How's Liam? Uh, Liam's all right. It, I, I could do with a break. It's sort of um, it's it's been a bit of a mad, busy, crazy year. Um, great things have been happening, but uh, things have been a sort of like a little bit. It's been an odd year. Um, and then recently with work, it's been nonstop. It's been incredibly busy. I could do with a break. We're coming up a year end. The work just never ends. Everything's apparently urgent, and yeah, it's not just me. It's it's like the whole team and everything like that. But I'm just, it's just it's catching up, and I'm really really struggling to wake up for work in the mornings. It just it, it it's hitting hard in a way. It's just I need a break. Just even a week off would be nice. Um, but yeah, other than that, it'd be all right. Um, how about you, Rob? Hmm. Yeah, just been same as same as ever. I um, haven't really done much. What have I watched? I think. I mean, what have I watched? Nothing really. No, my life's really boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's I, one thing I d- uh, I did watch was the 
I, st- I still haven't. F- I was hoping to have watched at least one episode of Juice. I haven't forgotten that recommendation. Oh yeah, uh, but I haven't got around to it. But it's 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 on my to do list. Um, and the fact that I haven't um, watched an episode of that is it's actually kind of irritating me to be honest. So I'll definitely get onto that uh, sooner rather than later. But one thing I d- uh, one thing I did do out of curiosity was I did watch the colorized version of uh, the Daleks. I haven't seen that yet. It's interesting. It was because uh, I'm, oh, I don't know how you would phrase it, a purist. Um, I have absolutely no issue with uh, with black and white. I think it's a, it's an art form of its own, appreciated. Um, but it's, it, yeah, but I, but I watched it and I, I ended up finding myself quite drawn into it. It's, um, it's been edited down. Some of the edits is, um, is a little bit, odd i think um if it was slightly longer just to give some of the moments a bit of breathing space but actually the editing on the whole i thought was reasonably well done the colorization is um is is actually uh incredibly well done i mean i still prefer the black and white if 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 i was asked to like which one i'd prefer but it's still it's still good and uh, mark Ayres uh provides additional music sometimes it's a little bit much but I-, I found myself just being drawn into into the story in a way i never had before i thought it was rather good um you can tell when nick briggs comes in and does a dalek voice and i wish right. <laughs> i wish he'd resisted the urge just to could you not can you can we just can we can we just have this a Dalek story without you providing the sodding voice, please, Mister Briggs? But anyway, but anyway, um, but no, I was I was quite impressed with it actually. Um, what about the the music? Um, that was a rescore, wasn't it? Yes, yes, it was. As I said, it was. I think um, Marquez did a a good job on the whole. I think there's, there was just a couple of music scores where I thought it was a little bit a little bit much. Mm. Uh, with the, with the sound, but uh, nothing too much to um, uh, to put me off. Okay. And as I said, I, I was watching it, and I was just I felt myself drawn into it, drawn into. The, so I couldn't because I thought I w- I'll watch the first ten minutes of it, and I'll get a feel, and that'll be it. But I ended up watching the whole thing, um, so I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, what's your take on the colours? Because the way black and white TV was produced, um, they would use a very broad spectrum of colors so that would tr- that would translate better onto black and white film um yes. so maybe the the color of the outfits and the scenery um may have been a choice for production rather than what it what the true color would have been in the story if you know what i'm kind of saying so do you think do you think they've have they went with the production colors no no no, 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 they haven't. So for that reason, so pure white would flare up on the black and white camera. So that's the reason why the original TARDIS console was painted a light green. Mm. With this colorization, that they haven't done that. It's the the interior of the TARDIS is white, um, and they've seemed to. I would I would say that obviously they've they maintained the color of um, the the Daleks. So the Daleks have the the color scheme that the the actual Are they blue? props had. Yes, so they're blue. Um, and the metallic walls are obviously metallic, but other than that, I think they've decided on on a color scheme which feels sort of sixties, if you like. I mean, it's it, interesting. Yeah, we, we, if you have a look at uh, screenshots of it, the, the the colors look very highly saturated. 
Um, but when you're watching it, it just seems to fit. It feels like you're watching... I mean, I know this came a, a little bit later, but it, it somehow... I wonder if they took inspiration from the 1960s Batman series, because that was very colourful. Oh, it was so vivid, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and So c- colour scheme-wise, it sort of reminded me of that. Uh, I'll have to check it out. Colour hmm. me intrigued. <laughs> nice. Uh Oh, a quick mention, um, also available on episode 128, we looked at the original Star Beast comic. Yes, we did, yeah. Which came out, um, I don't know, 1980, maybe, something yep. like that. Maybe we'll, we'll have a few things to talk about comparing and contrasting some of the creative choices they made um, for this story. But before we get on, though, um, I just want to point out that every single episode of the podcast is now available in a video format on YouTube. Um, which is a good thing. Okay, so a spaceship crashes in North London. Not that Donna Noble noticed. She had other things on her mind. Besides, there's no such thing as aliens, right? But then one turns up in her garden shed, the Meep. Another, the Doctor, barges into her kitchen. By the time a squadron of wrath warriors shows up on her doorstep, the Noble family must face facts. Donna's past is catching up with her, and her mind is about to be blown. So, cast and crew for this one, the Doctor, we have David Tennant returning, Catherine Tate played Donna Noble, Yasmin Finley played Rose Noble, Carl Collins played Sean Temple, returning from, uh, he was only in The End of Time, I believe, yeah? Yes, I think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had... um, Shirley Bingham was played by Ruth Madley. We had Jacqueline King returning as Sylvia Noble. Dara Lal played Fudge, which was also a character from the comic. And we had, of course, Miriam Margulies was the voice of the Meep. So we'll get on to the story. So it opens with a bit of a narration from... The Doctor and Donna serves as a bit of a recap uh, and also kind of places them where they are now. Um, what do you think of that? Oh, I didn't like it. No. <laughs> I thought it was naff. Um, I remember when I, so when this was first broke, uh, so when it was being broadcast and this is how it started, it was just right. Okay, so we have, I think, firstly, a very oddly... Um, uh, I don't know how to f- framed shot with the doctor uh, on the extreme left of the shot and on the extreme right, just some space nebula. It almost felt like a trailer, didn't it? You know how we sometimes have trailers with the doctor and Martha or mm. the doctor and Clara kind of talking outwards to the camera. Um, kind of felt like something like that. It did, uh, which was fine for for a trailer, but in terms of introducing an episode, it, it, it's a bit of an odd choice, and I thought the the look of it was odd. The biggest thing, which was ooh, was um, once upon a time, once upon a time, Lord, oh. and I was like, oh, yeah, I had the same <laughs> so, feeling. Yeah, it's it's not great. Like, what um, is, what is I, he even saying? What does that even mean? Oh, hang on. What was that really odd line in? Um, uh, I'm trying to remember. It was a Jodie Whittaker thing, and it was uh, it was just 
nothing ventured, nothing blown or something. Yeah. Like, no, no one says that. That's a much better line of dialogue than this. I don't know what this is. <laughs> Once upon a time, Lord. Sorry. So um, I thought it was odd. But then after I kind of got over that very peculiar line, the rest of it was fine as a recap. Me personally, I don't think it was necessary. I appreciate that there will be people uh, who would have, you know, be watching this and not be fully aware of the backstory. Uh, and so it's it's a quick sort of this is what what it's about. Fine, I appreciate that. But at the same time, even taking that on board, I still don't think it's necessary. Especially as um, later on, actually within the story, it's explained. Um, where quite a few times actually where you have the doctor goes you know that that line is just it feels like you hear it a million times if she will rem- remembers me she will die so yeah okay we'll get it so it's meant <laughs> so it's mentioned within that so it just feels a bit sort of like surplus to requirements and it's that thing of i as a viewer have absolutely no issue with watching something and maybe being a bit confused and asking those questions and but having those questions answered nat- naturally yeah. during the unfolding of the story. Within the actual episode, I think that whole thing to do with Donna and why the Doctor had to wipe her memory is handled very well within the episode. It's presented oddly. I don't like being spoken to. It's quite condescending when you've got David Tennant just looking at you through the telly. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that <laughs> It's like you're right, watching yeah. a kid's documentary or something. <laughs> But uh, what I will say is, after <laughs> after we have this introduction, um, things pick up massively. Yeah. Well, we we get to the opening titles. Yeah. I thought they were they were great. I I don't quite know what to make of the the new version of the theme tune. I mean, I don't dislike it. It's um it's reminiscent of what we've had. It is, yeah. But there's and we hear this particularly during the credits. Uh, it's emphasized more. We also have. Uh, vocals, sort of like vocalized sounds in it as well. Right. Um, it may just probably mean me, you know, maybe need to get a bit more used to it. Uh, but it's 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 different. But I got to say, I really do like the title sequence. I think the title sequence was really good. I did like it. Yeah. And I thought, right, now we're cooking. This, yeah, this is this is good. I'm liking it now. Yeah. Um, One thing I wasn't initially as keen on was. The blue diamond logo, it somehow felt a little bit out of place. I thought, I thought they'll go with the blue, for, like a a brand logo for marketing for trailers. I thought, when we finally get the diamond logo on screen, I thought it would have felt part like part of the sequence somehow more organically, but mm. it didn't quite fit. But it's not really a criticism; it's just like an observation. No, no. Funny enough, I think quite a lot. I think quite a few people have made the same thing because uh, I've seen quite a few comments online actually about it, which is oh, like, right. I love the title sequence, but they've made the same thing. It, it just feels like the the, the color scheme of, of of the logo doesn't quite blend in. If it was a slightly different shade of blue, if it may have sold it a bit more, and the way that it just sort of appears, mm. it doesn't. For, so yeah, I think a lot of people have, have made the same thing. Yeah. Um, I don't mind it as much, but at the same time, I can kind of see where people are coming from. But on the whole, I think the title sequence is a is a big success. I really yeah. do like it. Oh yeah, um, maybe they'll go with a different style when Shooty's Doctor comes along. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Yeah. So after this, 
the doctor just arrives in London and instantly he walks into a, a, a town or a street and meets Donna. Um, so they didn't waste any time there. And he helps her, then he just puts the package back and he turns around. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he comes back and we have that great sequence where she's um, shouting for Rose. He's like, what? <laughs> I, I, really, I really like that. Yeah, yeah, I did. And it was, uh, as you said, I was quite surprised at how um, we go straight into it. Um, mm. But yeah, he's, as soon as the toddlers arrives and the doctor's walking around, there he's, you know, uh, wrote, uh, Donna's straight there. Um, so I was very surprised. Okay, we're, we're straight into it. There was a nice little bit of comedy with the with the packaging, uh, with the, the placing of the boxes, and then with Donna calling for her daughter Rose, and he's like, what? He's like, Rose? And then what? just starts Rose? shouting in his face, Rose! <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just... It's just great to see these. I know I've said it in the past that uh, David Tennant may not necessarily be my favourite Doctor, but... Um, there was something about series four and that wonderful pairing up between him and uh, David Tennant and Catherine Taylor just worked massive and everyone else. And it's just like, oh, actually, uh, maybe I've, supr- you know, I was quite surprised. It's just, I've missed this. This is just really nice. And Catherine Tate is just fantastic. Uh, yeah. She's a really, really brilliant actress. And it's straight there. She, you know, there's some really wonderful heartfelt moments later on and some really powerful moments, but you know, Obviously, she nails the comedy as well. And it was just a, a really nice uh, introduction to it. Mm. Yeah. And then she misses the spaceship. <laughs> yes. Uh, typically, you know, she, she's missed everything else. Um, even, even before all this, you know, she um, when the doctor was asking about different things like Cybermen everywhere, she was like, no, I was in the pool somewhere. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's funny in of itself, but it's also but it also forms part of the running gag as well. So it's it's quite nice, yeah. We learn that Rose um is doing crafty stuff. She has a bag of eyes. And then um after the spaceships came and went, they they run off and this is when the doctor meets what's his face? <laughs> Sean. Sean Temple. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um gets in his taxi. He has his psychic paper, um, and then and then he goes off. And I guess this is the first direct interactions we've had with Sean because I'm pretty sure he was like a, a bit of a background character in the End of Time Part Two, or Part One rather. Um, so th- th- this was nice, and um, we learned that Donna kept her maiden name. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't go with um, Temple, um, and uh, same with Rose. Yeah. So then we go to the crash site at the steelworks. And so ever since the spaceship came overhead, this is where the adaption of the original comic begins. Um, because in the comic, the the ship is flying over Black Castle. Is it like a Yorkshire town or something? Did you, did you take it that way? In the, in the, comic. In the comic, yeah. Yes, I think it felt so. Like, yeah. It did feel like a northern industrial kind of town, didn't it? Yeah. Um, but, but in this case, of course, it's in London. <laughs> Bloody 
London section. <laughs> but Doctor Who's always been there. Yes. If not that, then the home <laughs> counties. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So so just just as in the comic, um, yeah, we end up at the the steelworks. So Eunice have secured the site, and the Doctor breaks in through a fence, and um, goes and checks it out. So we'll have a new head of unit, like a, a scientific advisor, rather, not a head of unit, Shirley, and um, she's in charge of the scene. Mm-hmm. So um, when Donna and Rose are heading home, um, Rose gets a bit of abuse on the street. Um, is it is it Jason that they were shouting? What, what was her name? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I actually learned a, a term. I didn't... Um, so... Rose is a uh, is a trans character. Yes. Uh first time for first time for Doctor Who. And um, although I've 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 seen some people point out that that would be Cassandra. Oh, I completely forgot about Cassandra. Yes, yeah. you're right. Yeah. Okay, so she Rose was a little boy. Same. Yes, yeah, you yeah, that's right. Although chronologically Rose is the first. Oh true? yes, yeah. I see, yes, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. No, I completely forgot about Cassandra as a, as a character. Yeah, yeah. But you learned a new term though. Yeah, dead naming. Because uh, they talked about the scene right. in um, in the what you call the making of back the, the oh the unleashed or something. I haven't seen that. Yeah, yeah, I watched that, and they talked uh, they talked about the scene and. Um, uh, so yeah, it's it's dead naming. So obviously, Jason was Rose's identity prior to transitioning. Um, so so yeah, I just I, I never knew that. I knew that that was obviously a, a, a thing that people did, but I didn't realize that the, the, the term was you're dead naming them because right, okay. that's who they were. That was their previous name, but obviously they moved on from that. So I was like, oh okay, I've learned, I've learned a term. I didn't I didn't know that. Um, so yeah, so so you have the scene. What I find interesting about it is, um, it turns. I mean, I'm not surprised it fits in with the character, but it turns out that that Donna was a bully. She when was. She was yeah. a kid. Yeah, yeah. Because um, so she recognizes the kids who are picking picking on her daughter, and um, knew their parents. Maybe knew their parents. It goes, you know, and, and then says, you know, because uh, I knew what they were called when when she was a kid, and in fact, I invented them. So Donna. You, you picked on them. That's not good. But anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, it shows like, it's good that it shows different aspects because it shows the arrogance, which is the, the dead, dead naming, dead shaming that you were saying. Dead naming. Yeah, dead yeah. naming, yeah. Um, but it also showed like the unintentional ignorance that like older generations would have. Like even our generation are older. Where, with like Sylvia, you know, she forgets and she's she's a bit apprehensive. Um how to present herself for that when we had a little conversation with Donna. Yeah. What I liked about that scene though, was it was just, you know, uh, cause you know, this whole thing, I mean, let's face it, this is all entirely new. It, it's still a, a conversation that we're all still having. Yeah. I mean, it kind of wasn't, it wasn't an issue when we were younger and mm. when the change in culture kind of happened, that missed me by. And when everyone's making a statement of like pronouns on like social media i'm like what's hap- what does this mean um so that that was a kind of a bit of a learning curve for me um so so yeah i guess with like like what i was saying with like older generations including us 
there's an ignorance there. But like when you when you guess you don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Or or not, I wouldn't say you know. Well, obviously it depends on who you're talking about. I think that some people will be, but uh, I, I wouldn't say it's it's an ignorance because it's it's a in some aspects it's a, yeah. it's a complicated but, issue. Yeah. But, but but I mean by uh, definition of the word of the word, I mean like ignorant in an like not in a bad way but you don't and oh, like, just, just not an understanding yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, not okay, like oh, okay, i'm an ignorant okay. person <laughs> <laughs> no. um yeah um but what i really liked about this was that uh, rose is is clearly very uh is an you know is clearly comfortable in her own skin and her, is very supportive is very supported by her family yes they get things wrong but um it's it's not out of malice and there is an attempt of trying to make Rose be, you know, be comfortable and so on. I quite I quite liked the way that this was done. I, d- I didn't feel like it was... Because, you know, bashing you, bashing you over the head with, with the message or whatever. I just felt like if you... You know, it's like, this is the character. Uh, this is what they're about. Uh, it, it, just in a normal, uh, a normal domestic setting. Um, I just felt this part of it was was handled well. We'll come on to it later. I think there are certain aspects of the story where it. Uh, I, I got to say, I, I was like, I'm sorry, no, I don't agree with the right. direction that you're going in. But but um, yeah, at this stage of the story, it didn't feel like Russell, as the writer, was trying to make a statement. No, it was it was just natural, yeah. and I, I like you know I liked it, and it just it just flowed, and it felt real, and there was no malice. Obviously, there was with the with the with the bullies, uh, when they when when they're walking home, but uh, clearly that was done out of a sense of uh, you know this this is bullying, this is wrong, they're coming from the wrong place. She's home, and I got to say, um, I really like. I mean, I've always liked the character, but this just, obviously there's been. There's been a change since we've last seen Sylvia, played by Jacqueline King, and I really love. A, oh yeah, um, a, a Sylvia in in this. Um, I just think it's great. Yeah, she's a much more mature and like, um, just trying to cope rather than fight the situation. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like I like her growth as a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, also I quite like um, Rose as well, Yasmin's character. Like it. If um, if she maybe had the chance to stick around more, um, maybe that would have been interesting. So, well, they're in the house. Uh, yeah, of course, roses went out to her shed. Uh, and Donna talks a little bit about her the gap in her memory. And it's 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 fun because Sylvia's being quite evasive and um, you know, there's nothing nothing on the news. No, no, no spaceship, no crash. Um. And Donna's like, yeah, it's it's always kind of like what Granddad would talk about, uh, UFOs and aliens. And then he just stopped right about the time when uh, I lost my memory. <laughs> um, and she's wondering what she's lost. So like, like there's some someone that should be next to her. Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting getting some insight into what is actually going on with her mentally, like since she was left behind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, I think this scene—I completely agree—but and I think what this scene shows as well is how Sylvia has uh, Sylvia's character has has developed because she always loved Donna, but she wasn't—you know—back in series four, she wasn't the most supportive mother. And this is actually, you know, and uh, when when Donna originally leaves and the doctor's explaining to 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 Wilf and Sylvia about what he's had to do to wiping Donna's memory. Um, 
the doctor's talking about how special uh, she used to be. And Sylvia goes, she still is. She's my daughter. And the doctor goes, well, maybe you should tell her that. And she goes, oh. You know, and I thought that was quite nice and maybe the penny dropped there. Here, obviously, she's trying to um, avoid the conversation in the sense of, I don't want Donna to remember all those things because it will kill her. But she's also listening and being supportive as well and playing that sort of that 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 real tightrope. But she's being supportive, and it's great. And uh, I've always liked Jacqueline. I, I want to say I'm more stuff actually because I've only seen her play this character. Um, but Jacqueline King here is well, not just here, but throughout the entire episode, she's just fantastic. Totally, yeah. So Rose goes outside and she meets. Um, a boy called Fudge, and this is the first character we're getting in the story who is lifted directly from the comics. Mm-hmm. Because in the comics, we had two school children. We had a boy called Fudge, and we had a girl called Sharon, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And or was it Shirley? Shirley. Or... No, it was it Sharon? I don't know. I feel anyway, like Sharon. Yeah. Um. So we have Fudge and Rose. Um, like as proxy, she she's taken on the the role of Sharon, I guess, in this story almost. Yes, uh, yeah, because yeah. she is um with Fudge, and they find the Meep. Um, so in this in this version, we have um an escape pod has came out, and Fudge has seen it or heard about it, and he takes Rose there, but it's empty. Mm-hmm. Um, so as Rose heads back. She finds the meep uh, behind some bins. In the comic, um, they followed a slimy blood blood trail to the shed. Um, but yeah, in this, um, in this, it's just behind the bins, and it's, it's just Rose by herself at this stage. Yeah. So, uh, first impressions of the meep. Brilliantly rendered. Um, I th- They've they've done a, as as good a job as possible of lifting that original design that we see illustrated in the comic and and turning it into this real thing. I just think it's a really really good design. Yeah, I think it's well proportioned because design wise they could they could have done it really wrong. They could have done someone who was m- more humanoid, a more animal, or more like a big furry blob. <laughs> um, I, th- I think I think the meep's well proportioned, and um, they've got all the features and the eyes just right. Yeah, mm-hmm. they look quite good. And straight away, the meep can talk. I think it took a couple of issues in the comics before um, the meep was saying anything but meep meep. <laughs> yes, I think, yes, that's right. It yeah. uh, did take a little while. Yeah. yeah, I was actually a bit concerned that this this episode was going to be, what, maybe a 40 or 50 minute episode adapting uh, an entire comic story which had multiple issues and at the same time adding the core elements of the Doctor and Donna. So you've got another another um, plot element going on. So I thought, I know this is going to be somehow a condensed version of the Starbeast comic that makes some compromises or they'd adapt it in certain ways. Um, so already at this stage, you can see that they're missing a few beats, um, which they also do later on. But I think at this point, uh, unless you disagree, Rob, but I think at this point, it, uh, I think these changes are ones that benefit 
this version of the story. I yes. don't think we need a whole um, the, the the meep learning the English language and all the rest of it. Just um, yes, I... just get, getting straight. I, I think at this point, uh, I, th- I, th- I think it fits very well. Yeah, it's it, and it doesn't come across as jarring. No, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, um, Fudge, the little boy, comes across some wrath warriors. I think we we call them wraith warriors when we did the comic, but uh, I think I've come to learn that most people say wrath. Right. Okay. Yeah. Someone else we've learned. Is, is okay. wraith a bit of is wraith the American term? I'd say the wrath of Khan. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's wrath, isn't it? Yeah. So so these wrath warriors. Um, I don't remember the names, but it'll come to me. <laughs> um, they choose to let let the boy run away. They're not going to just kill him. But this is the first. Is this this the first time we see the Wrath Warriors? Yeah, yeah. I think in the comic we saw the ship arrive, and then they operated on the fourth Doctor, put a bomb in his stomach. Um, but yeah, it really occurred to me we never got that plot, did we? I wonder if that could have <laughs> no, no, that could have fitted in. Maybe not. I think morally it would have uh, complicated the story a bit. Yeah, and then we would have had like two ticking time bombs because we've already got Donna who could potentially die as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Aye. So at the steelworks, the Doctor is still there. And he he uses a new feature on his Sonic. He generates this holographic screen. Mm-hmm. Which was interesting, and this he also meets Shirley, the unit scientific advisor. But going back to the Sonic, uh, what were your thoughts at this part? I know that um, with modern Doctor Who, I have had a problem of the Sonic screwdriver being massively overused and being this magical tool, and and all the rest of it. And um, maybe going forward, having something like this may raise those problems, but. Uh, just in the moment, um, I don't actually have a problem with this. I quite like, for, for one thing, I quite like this scene. It was quite nice just to see the Doctor step to one side, taking his time, investigating and finding out the information of, of what he needs. Mm. And then the conversation that he has with Shirley. and the, I just really liked the scene. Mm. Um, and having the Sonic Screwdriver being able to have this ability of creating a sort of screen so he can work out what's going on with the spaceship it made sense i quite liked it um it may be the case later on down the line the sonic screwdriver becomes too powerful and made but uh, for the moment I, th- I didn't it didn't bother me within the confines of the story yeah uh, I, th- I, th- I thought it was i thought it was good it made sense and you know how with um tenant's original run and matt smith and capaldi and whitaker you know uh waving the sonic screwdriver around and then reading something which is clear you know reading something from the song screwdriver that's clearly not Mm. there's no screen a a telepathic element i think yeah but maybe but then because you know rose uses it wasn't it and had hundreds of settings as well yeah yeah Yeah. it just it 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 just looked like another thing to do because it's like well the prop doesn't have a screen so what are you reading um, but this it all it all sort of combines and it uh, yeah. it makes sense. It I was it. it was fresh as well because the Sonic, even though we, it's overused, it does the same old crap. It buzzes. You look at it, <laughs> you can see things, but it's not there. It'll open the door. It'll turn on a fire engine, whatever. 
Um, but yeah, this was something fresh. We're like, ooh, I haven't seen that before. Um, yes, yeah, and yeah. May- maybe it'll not be feature of the week when the show comes out um, from a technical point of view. Um, but I really liked it, yeah. And he also speaks with Shirley, who kind of just approaches him, and they just start talking. Um, and Shirley comes across um, not as if, like, oh, I've always wanted to meet you. Uh, she presents herself as quite the opposite. Well, I think they get the, I think they get the balance right. I, I mean, keeping in mind as well, we've already had a character like Osgood in the Capaldi era who was clearly like a, this massive fangirl of the Doctor. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> here, I think Shirley, you know, she's very much her own person. She clearly has respect for the Doctor and she mentions how she's read the files. But yeah, she's not as sort of like uh, fanning over him in a way. And it yeah. just, again, it, which actually I'm pleased with, uh, as, as much as I like the, the character of Osgood, I think that would have been sort of like overplaying it a bit. This just feels more natural. Um, I like the way that they just sort of um, just sort of met and just got on with the conversation. I just like the way that the scene played out and was performed. Yeah. And um, she had quite a comprehensive knowledge of the Doctor's faces because yes. he's, he's saying, I've already been this and that, and it was a woman... Now I'm this again. And she's like, hang on, you can't know that. That's your future. So I thought that's interesting that that units got that intel there. Yes. In, a, in like a coherent order as well. Um, but it also worked well as um, a tool to help the, the, the viewers, I guess. Especially people who might be a little, I don't know if confused is the word, but curious about what's actually happening happening mm-hmm. it why is david Tennant back and explaining that you know this isn't the same doctor this is this is this is their present day um after all the others yeah, yeah so I, yeah. I thought i thought it worked well mm-hmm. and he seems much more emotionally mature um, yes you know he's talking about donna and says how he loves her and that that sort of like takes him by surprise a bit to just go no is, is that who i am um so yeah it's david Tennant coming back and i know that you and i rob have said i think it was when we were reviewing destination scarra when it said that you know um david Tennant will to all intents and purposes effectively be playing the 10th doctor and we both said well, that's a bit disappointing I think there's a no- yes he he is clearly doing that uh, here but I think there is enough sometimes it's subtle sometimes it's commented on like here but I think there's enough of a difference to to say that the 14th doctor and the 10th are different and you do get a sense that this is the doctor that does follow on from Whitaker and Capaldi and Smith you do get that sense yeah it's precisely what I was thinking like in contradiction to what David Tennant said on the one show, you know, you know, I'm playing the same character, no changes, um, but yeah, it does feel like a change or a growth, and it was noticeable. So I, th- I thought that was good, good observation, yeah. Um, but yeah, he does say like, "Oh, I absolutely love her," and he's like, "Oh, do I say that now?" Um, and he's he's questioning the change as well a little bit, um, yeah. So. As the Doctor hops on board a unit transport, um, unit has got orders to board the Meep's ship. Um, I think they actually name-dropped Geneva has ordered us to do this. Um, 
I don't know if the modern era has said that before. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I missed that. I didn't hear that. Yeah, okay. yeah, uh, yeah. I think they said, yeah, Geneva's ordered us to board the ship. Yeah, um, and they dealt with Shirley being in the wheelchair when when the soldier kind of realized the problem, hesitated, and he was like, "Oh, I'm sorry." And but you know, it, it straight away she's like, "Don't make me the problem. Just go." Yes, um, which I like that. I thought that was that was that was really good. Because obviously yeah. they've got to go up these stairs and him just, just going on, oh, I'm sorry. He's just like, don't make me the problem. Just, you know what you need to do? Just crack on. Love that. Thought it was great. Yeah. Um, so when they go up, they open the ship and this energy is released, which takes control of the unit soldiers, makes them a bit possessed. Um, perhaps this is a bit better explained in the comic. Um, I d- do you think that as well? Possibly, but I don't think it was poorly explained here. I mean, we get an explanation, obviously, of what was going on towards the end of the episode. I really like this, actually. I I found it creepy. And it, it actually reminded me of programs that I watched as a kid where they would have these sort of things where adults would get possessed and they would have strange glowing eyes. It really freaked me out as a kid. It, I found it, like, really creepy. Or like the demon headmaster and shit like that. Yeah, yeah, and like the modern version of the Tomorrow People. I remember there was an episode where they they sorted these pods and it made it possessed all these adults and their eyes glowed green. It freaked me out for weeks. Um, This honestly really bothered me. I had nightmares over it and stuff. Anyway, um, this uh, this reminded me of that. It took me back to being a kid and just going, "Oh, this is really creepy." Um, So I'm wondering if (laughs) maybe kids these days would just go, "Oh." Get over it, Gramps. It's not that creepy, but uh, but it, yeah, it just it just took me back to sort of what, what watching those uh, programs as a kid. I, I thought it was very effectively done. Um, I think at this point in the story, it's you know it's an alien spaceship. There's this strange power, and it's 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 obviously possessed them, and that's all that you need to know at the at this point. We later find out that that is you know where that comes from, and it's affected the meep and da 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 da. But yes, I think uh, as a comparison, I think it's perfectly explained within this televised version of the story. But I think, yeah, it probably is explained a bit better in the comic. I think so, yeah, because didn't didn't the Meep's homeworld have this dark star or black sun or something, um, which, which is what changed the nature of the Meeps? But was it also the power of the ship or something like that? Yeah, or was and that I think... always, am I missing something? No, no, I don't think you are. But I think uh, obviously with uh, with it in the comic, you're not only told this, but you see it. Whereas with the expl- whereas with the explanation in here, uh, during the trial sequence, if you like, you're just told it. And I've got to say, one of the things I was disappointed with that this story didn't do, which I loved in the comic. I think you know what I'm going to say, Rob. You know when you see what the Meeps used to be like? They were cute yes. and adorable and singing, singing like, where beeps the Meeps and all the rest of it and just doing these really just cutesy rhyming oh, stuff. Oh, man, yeah. I was oh. going to hold off till we discuss the trial sequence, but... Oh, so- sorry, I, Rob. I, 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 I was... Ahead, but, but... No, that's fine. But yeah, I was painfully aware that they have totally breezed over the origin <laughs> story. Um, yeah, the, yeah. It would have been brilliant like to just... Um, yeah, the cam- the the scene cuts to um, the Meep Home World, and they're all prancing about. Uh, 
and we got this whole story, but no, never mind. Oh, <laughs> missed opportunity. But, well, creatively, it would have been like making a whole movie in the space of a few minutes, probably, all the, all the extra stuff. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Yeah. It would have been nice had they done that, but never mind. Yeah. So, back at the shed, Rose heads out where she's keeping the meep. And the meep is talking to Rose's Rose's toys. Like, I think she's like, will you be my friend? Which is all very cute. Um, And she's getting frustrated. Oh, I say she, yeah. The definitive article, I think you were referring to the meep as. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the meep is getting frustrated with them. And... Like, oh, you pulled his stuff and out, his tummy out or something. Uh, mm. I thought that was really well played, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. Just just something I want to point out. What does this make Rose? She's a toy maker. No. Okay. Anyway, just, uh, it, just so something... It, I just, well, uh, uh, it's interesting. Um, this episode will be coming out on the Monday... After the giggles came out, so within context, we have no idea what's gonna. Oh what's yeah, gonna yeah. Play out. So, yeah. So, so listeners, you can be go. Oh my god, Lee made a really good point. Oh, you can just go. Okay. Why call is he it mentioning now. that? Yeah. <laughs> call it, now. it was Are foreshadowing. Um, yeah. But Rose yeah. is a toy maker. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Whether that will come to have some bearings on the giggle, we shall see. But yeah, just something across my mind. Yeah, interesting. Okay, we'll see. So Donna enters the shed, and this is where she's like, oh, these these toys, well, that is brilliant when she's looking at the meep. And we have a whole E.T. moment amongst the teddies. And also, I think I think it's been pointed out that uh, the Star Beast came out a year before E.T., or something yeah, like I that. Yeah, in fact, I think Russell T. Davis mentioned that on the one show yeah. he was talking about. He was explaining the... Yeah. Without giving the, the the twist, if you like, uh, away, but he was explaining the, yeah. the, the the plot of the story, and he went, <laughs> "I'd just like to point out, this was before the film of eighteen. It's just like, you know what? It never crossed my mind, but I'm yeah. so pleased he mentioned that. I was like, yeah, and Doctor Who got there first. Stick yeah. that in your pipe and smoke it, Mister Spielberg. <laughs> yeah, although um, the Teddy scene's not in the comic, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. Because uh, that you can't it, yeah, yeah. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, then then the meat blinks and Donna prods it in the eye. That's gotta be that's gonna be painful. Um but yeah, a, a whole response like, What the hell? <laughs> she just plays it so well. Yeah. So the doctor arrives at Donna's house. Um or rather he's knocking on the window and he's like, Hey Sylvia and she's annoyed for um yeah, she wants him gone, and then she turns around, and Donna's in the kitchen with the meep around her leg. It's all kicking off, and she can't <laughs> she can't get a hold of the situation. Um, but the doctor kind of barges in, um, gets slapped about a bit, and it's, and then they all it's all just chaos in the kitchen, and then Sean walks in. <laughs> He's like, oh, "What's for tea <laughs> or something?" Tuna Madras. Yeah. Actually, I've got to mention this. Right, uh, for years, 
because I, I learned this uh, from my mother, so I've cooked it as well. But I've never, ever, ever heard anyone talk about a tuna curry before. So I thought this was just like this really bizarre sort of like family recipe that only we <laughs> that we right. really cook. Because I've never heard of anyone else co- cooking a tuna curry. So when I was watching this and she mentioned tuna madras, I went, <gasps> so it is a thing. <laughs> People are aware yeah. of this. But it's funny. Yeah, madras actually... is usually... Um... Is it traditionally? Is it? Is it any meat or is it usually chicken? Yeah, anything on it. Yeah, yeah, uh, and usually, uh, I mean, you, you do get fish curries. Um, you get like prawn curries as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah, but I've never ever heard anyone else talk about uh, making a tuna curry, and so I sat, I sat bolt upright, going, "So it is a thing. It's not this freakish thing that I've been making all these years." It's funny though because it has become a bit of a meme, and people have been focusing on it. And uh, the BBC, following this, have actually released. Sort of like oh, the recipe. The recipe. Like that, yeah. I read the recipe and I'm going, that is the oddest recipe. I bet they put olives in it. Um, I so, love olives. Well, that's your problem, Rob. But, you know, I mean, you, you put them in a curry. It's, it's just wrong. No, I'm not I'm not a massive fan of, of olives. Maybe I can have uh, like the, the green ones are all right sometimes, but um, they're all nice. They're not, Rob. And uh, have you ever played, bro- uh, you know, the Broken Sword games? Oh, yeah. 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 They the, the still remain like one of my favorites. In the second uh, game, Broken Sword 2, The Smoking Mirror, uh, you're trying to, your main character, George Stobbard, is, is trying to get into a um, into a warehouse and you're trying to convince the, the guy there to let you in. And there's some dialogue that you can pretend to be a, a pizza uh, a pizza delivery man. And he goes, yeah. he goes I didn't order any damn pizza. And he goes, are you sure? It's got extra olives. I don't like olives. They're the devil's butt nuggets. Oh that my line God. of dialogue has always stuck with me. And it's just like, yes, they are. Olives oh. are the devil's butt nuggets. So there you go. God, I've got to be honest. I've only ever done a complete playthrough of the second one once. It must have been, um, well, over 10 years ago. Um, and I remember messaging you at the time. And you were tell me about all these bits with the goat and all the all this different stuff oh and i think you told me about the ghost bit as well oh yes in the uh when you're in the london underground the British yeah, yeah yeah i think yeah, you, yeah. You, 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 i was at that point and you, you went oh yeah do this do that and um because you, you obviously remembered it quite well Um i've played through the first one a hell of a lot yeah the, um, but the yeah the second the second one it's one of those things where i'd you know when you play something and you just get stuck somewhere and don't get back to it. Um, I like the first one, though. In the ha- it has, like, the Geordies on the train. <laughs> yeah, it yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the drunk Geordies. Yeah. But I like how yeah, you go... Uh, day. Yeah. You go all around Paris and back and forward to Ireland. Um, I like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I-, I love those games. It's been a long time since I've played them, but... Uh... Well, as you can tell, like, I, I remember them an awful lot with a massive amount of fondness. The The first game is being uh, remastered and it's going to be re-released soon. Do you remember the director's cut? Did you get that? Where we had um, the new intro and stuff like that? Yeah, it was all right. I felt like uh, the new stuff actually took away from the game. So this remastered version is, it doesn't have any of the director's cut's additional bits in it. It's the original game just the the graphics and the sounds have been improved. Oh, so is it remade like five almost? Like is um, it like a modern upgrade? I think so. Yeah, yeah. 
Did you ever play the Monkey Islands? Because I think you picked those up on Steam or something. Yeah, 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 I did. Uh, did yeah, you, did you give them a go? Yeah, yeah, I did like them. And I know, th- as a comparison, I do prefer the Broken Sword games. But the, right. the Monkey Island ones, the, the, they are imaginative and full of did, wit. and. Did you and toggle kind of like... back and forward between the old and new graphics? Yes, I had to. Because with the first game, there's a bit where you're on the boat. And I think you basically have to... There's, there's a timing thing of... Um, I think you have to use a cannon for some reason. Oh, I can't right, quite yeah. remember why. And um, the ti- uh, the timing of I could never get the timing right with the new graphics. So then I had to switch back to the oh, old okay. graphics and the timing was right. It was like, right, okay, great. I've done that bit of the puzzle. Then I switched back to the, the updated graphics. So, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think the, update, the, the, the old graphics looked better than I think they did on my old PC, <laughs> the old Windows 95 one. I do oh, remember right. like... In, instead of some of the sounds coming out your speaker, like, do you remember like the yeah the PC would just beep for some things, mm-hmm. like with the, like there's like a speaker on there's like a little beep indicator on the motherboard, and sometimes games would u- utilize this, and you just like the the yeah the actual speaker the actual computer would just beep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Sorry, so back to the story. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of a tangent. I didn't expect. Right. Anyway, yes. Yeah. Um, so, where were we at the two? Oh, so, uh, uh, yes, after the tune in Madras, they probably ate it all, and then the doctor's band bandaging up Meep's hand. Mm-hmm. Donna questions who the doctor is. Um, oh, then we find out units put Wolf into care, and the doctor's like, they're like, oh yeah, Wolf's gone. He's like, Oh, I love that man. Mm. And Sylvia, Sylvia's like, you idiot. idiot. <laughs> He's not dead. <laughs> He's not dead. He's 94. He can't manage the stairs. I loved all that. I did think. <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, we would be in the day. Because we say, oh, he's no longer with us. Most people yeah. would interpret that as just go, oh, yeah, I love that man. I'm so sorry for your loss. And yeah, just like, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did like it was funny, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of another little bit of insight into the doctor being more like expressive with his feelings i guess was he yes. ever like this as much or do you think this is like the growth no i think this is the growth yeah okay rose questions the doctor on the meep's pronoun and uh the meep says um you know i'm i'm the definite article mm-hmm. yeah it was a bit of, it was a bit, uh, you see th- this was a bit of a funny one for me because i thought that the the dialogue bringing in this topic was a bit clunky. You know how, you know, we were saying at the beginning of the episode with Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time Lord, and just going, yeah. <laughs> this isn't as bad as that, but I just feel like the the way that, it just feels really shoehorned in. But it's a very brief moment because I did actually like the bit when uh, the Doctor's then talking to the Meep and, you know, that whole thing of going, you know, my personal pronoun is the definite article and goes, oh yeah, I do that. Um, uh, so it's it's quite a nice little uh, sort of like in some respects a nice little nod to Robot with uh, Tom Baker's first story of just going you may be a doctor but I'm the doctor the definite article you might say um, but but then having this thing of going my personal pronoun is the meep and then just the doctor going yeah I do that so that was quite nice yeah but um, yeah, that's all I've got to say about that really yeah it's all fine um, the meep has two hearts I don't, I don't know. That's from the comic. 
but it, mm, it's, it's here. No, I don't think it is. I, mm. I don't, if it is, I don't remember it. Mm. I don't think it was. Yeah. So unit knocks at the front door. They've arrived. Um, the the doctor realizes that they are possessed. So he shuts the door. And then the bloody wrath warriors arrive at the back door. <laughs> and there's a bit of a firefight going on. So this, this is when we get another fun bit with the Sonic, when he generates this shield yep. and slides it out, and then another one to make a barricade. Um, so did you, did you like this? Yeah, I did. It's the it's, it's same thing with what I was saying before. Um, uh, within the, the story, it's just like, oh, it's like what you said, actually, Rob, because it's fresh and new. Um, it really It's really striking, isn't it? Like, like Yeah, yeah, it is. So, uh, so, like, in terms of the stories, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I just hope that it doesn't become an overused thing later on down the line. But Yeah, I doubt for it. For the moment, yeah. I yeah. yeah. So they um, sneak upstairs and they go into the loft and then through the whole terrace a few doors down. There's a big shootout on the front street. Cars getting blown up and flying everywhere. And they go to escape in Sean's taxi. But the doctor goes to examine a, sh- a soldier on the ground um, who is apparently not dead. Um, and he thinks this is curious. Why is he not dead? And then they drive off and the Wrath Warriors open fire on the car with zero damage. And this is where the doctor says, either we escape or We've I've, got some, I've got something very, very wrong. Mm-hmm. And this struck me as watching the story... I thought this has been questioned too soon. And I was concerned at this point that things were going to unravel very quickly. Okay. And then we get the trial sequence and they kind of were. In retrospect, I'm fine that they did it that way in the pacing of the story. Otherwise, it just would have went on too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but initially, I, 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 was liter- I was thinking, I'm concerned that... Um, the doctor's picking up on something too soon that he's going to spoil the reveal of the meep too early. So then we get the sequence in the in the car park where he uses a teleport to bring in the Wrath Warriors and he discusses what's going on with the with them and the meep. Do you feel like, you know, that, that this this particular scene is the rush in the story? Yes, I do agree with you. I, d- I did like that moment when he checks the pulse of the soldier. Yeah. And I thought, all oh, right, okay. And obviously at that moment, says, right, the doctor's got a big clue there. I, I-, I quite liked that, actually. I thought that-, that that was good. And he's going, right, okay, I need to reevaluate the situation. I thought that mm. was good. Um, and then but mis- going... mystery should kind of linger, shouldn't it? In a story yes. as well. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So I think this, I agree with you, Rob. I think this was part of the story that maybe would have allowed a bit of, you know, a bit of breathing. You could have actually done a little bit, a little something to offset the audience a little bit because I think now at this point, the audience are kind of going, oh, maybe the me, I don't know. But yeah, maybe at the very least have the story breathe out a bit. I am a little, and especially because now suddenly they're in this car park, which is a great setting, um, but then suddenly the doctor's able to teleport the warriors. How? Oh, yeah. I don't know. That's my biggest bugbear of this scene, just for the sake of the plot. Plot convenience, he can now teleport. Uh, yeah, and it's sort of... Whereas previously what we saw with the Sonic Screwdriver, we saw him use it as an investigating tool, creating the, the screen in front of him and able to, to analyse what he's looking at. I get that. 
that makes sense. And then the fact that he's able to do that, okay, or what you have to do is, because he was able to create this in air, he's able to do the same thing to create the force fields later on. That ties in. That makes sense. Suddenly to have the ability to teleport the warriors, two of them, where's that come from? Okay, I've just had a thought. What if he didn't teleport them, but he just summoned them? He, he sent a signal of the location and they teleported. Does that make more sense? That does make much more sense, but that does raise the the, the point of going, if that is the case, and actually I like that as uh, as an explanation, That I would buy that. Um, but in which case it happens far too quickly. So again, even, even then it's just a little bit rushed. So there were parts of this scene which, I mean, it's it's not an entire disaster, but yeah, it uh, it, it suddenly, yeah, it, it suddenly the, the story just rushes needlessly, and yeah, it 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 could have been done a little bit better, I think. Yeah, maybe. Of course, like you said earlier, the Wrath Warriors explain the origin of the Meep, how the Meep um, is the evil leader of the Meeps, or Beep is. Beep of all the meeps. And that's when the meep breaks, um, stops the act and becomes comes mean. <laughs> mm. Do you like the um the new look of the meep when the meep's bad? Well, I think we all prefer it when the it's meep. uh cute. It's cute and cuddly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they're taken back to the steelworks. Um uh, well oh, I should point out that uh we had a bit of a moment where the meep kind of insulted Rose. When she's like, oh, and you're, I don't know if she said you're strange or you're weird child. And we had Donna be defensive. She, she wasn't, she picked her battles with the boys on the street and she wasn't um, defensive to an extent there. But then when she's with Sylvia, she's like, you know, I'll protect her. I, I will descend. <laughs> um, so that's when we get, this is when we get the first glimpse that she's being uh, like truly protective um, when she's defensive over there. So that was nice. But then it's, they're all being taken back to the steelworks and en route, Donna is questioning how everyone kind of knows the doctor. And she also talks about giving away the money as well, because of course, in the end of time part two, the doctor given the lottery ticket and... Um, and it, it turns out that they gave the money away and she, she did it to help others. And she comes out with, um, it felt like the sort of thing he would do. So it's like on a subconscious level, she knows the doctor, but there's some kind of like block there. So it's always like bubbling near the surface, but you can't see it. Yeah. 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 Um, so in the steelworks, the Meep has this makeshift throne. It looks like bits of metal cobbled together of course they're in the steelworks um that's a difference to the comics because the most high meep was in like a high chair <laughs> with <laughs> extendable legs yes yeah yeah maybe that was a sensible thing to kind of ditch Yes, I think so. Because I think even I, th- I think if memory serves Robert when we were reviewing the, the podcast we did l- it works within the confines of the comic but I think we and we loved it. But I think we even have a, had a laugh about <laughs> the fact that if they tried to do that, for, like for, the, for this version of the story, it would be it, uh, it just wouldn't work. 
No. Um, so no, I think this was a very, <laughs> yeah, a, a sensible uh, adaptation of it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, the ship has this dagger drive where it digs into the, I don't know, like the gravity of the planet and causes catastrophic damage. And it would uh, it would destroy London, killing millions. So that's the threat in this final act of the story. I think well, there's I a bit. I mean, was I mean, did you buy that as a threat, Rob? The destruction of London. Did that did that bother you as a Northerner? Didn't bother me did at you... all. No. <laughs> <laughs> Be doing us a favour. Um, yeah. <laughs> no more London stories. Um, this is a bit of a. It's similar to the comics, but it's also a deviation because in the comics. The ship was powered by, is it this Dark Star Drive or something? Yes. Which is the energy that possesses the unit soldiers, which I think also changed the whole evolution of the Meeps. And Mm -hmm. when this Star Drive is activated in the comics, it literally does something catastrophic in space-time and it takes the whole of Black Castle out. Um, And we have this interesting sequence where the doctor is painfully being kind of warped and pulled through painfully. Yes. Um, so that's that's a difference here. In the case of the TV show, it's very basic. Yeah, London's just going to blow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that would have been interesting to see. I did think it might have been going that way, like something a bit a bit crazy, because I know we, I guess from the trailers the ground was going to get a bit destroyed like it did. And I thought to revert that, maybe space time's going to revert or something like that, something weird. But it wasn't quite the case, but I, I think this is fine, yeah. So as they're, they're being escorted through the steelworks, they exit a lift and Shirley's there and she's got weapons in a wheelchair. And nice. the, the doctor comments on that. Yeah, weapons, weapons in your chair? He's like, yes, we all do. <laughs> And she's like, that's not all it does. And she's got like a rocket launcher in there and all sorts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good, yeah. Um, so as they're escaping, Donna locks the door behind her so she can go back and help the doctor. So she meets him aboard the Meep's ship and they're in like, I don't know, it's like the this control room up there. But um, they eventually are separated by a glass screen. Mm-hmm. either side the doctor's kind of the only person that can get them out of this situation um but he knows or, was, or, or rather he can't without the help of donna uh but he knows he needs a help but it'll kill her and he has a bit of a moment where he's like why has it got to be this which kind of mirrors the same situation he was in with wilf th- wilf wasn't it yeah, but I think with uh, I've always had a problem with the uh, with the way that it was done in uh, the end of time. I just thought that the doctor came across like a complete and utter dick, to be honest. In there, whereas with this, it because um, fe- there's a bit where he, he, fe- he feels like he's having a go at Wilf, and you're going, oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, whereas this, it uh, it did feel much more just like a, a normal uh, emotional reaction to the situation. Yeah, yeah. That, that back in the end of time, that was when we had the whole egotistical pretentious 10th doctor who <laughs> yeah was a bit of a dick <laughs> uh, yeah so him and the doctor are trapped aboard and um he uses a sequence of words to unlock donna's memories mm-hmm. and we get some energy bursting out and she's back 
oh yeah, initially when she's back, instead of trying to trying to save everyone, she's pissed about the lottery money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hundred and sixty odd million. It was funny, but it did sort of strike me as a very interesting reaction. It's funny, but there is a bit, just the way it's just like, I'd always be kind and nice and act as soft as you. I don't know what it is. I feel like there's something slightly off with Donna. I can't, I don't know whether it's. I don't know. I kind of liked that response and I thought it was fitting with our character. No, no, no. Yes, I agree with that, but I don't know. There's just something. Does that just? <laughs> I mean, it is funny, and I do like it. And you're all right, Rob. It uh, it isn't keeping with the character, but I don't know. I just feel like there's something just slightly. You're just being paranoid. Off about yeah, I probably am. It's just something slightly. But you know the very early on. I mean, <laughs> it is funny. Uh, but you know when she when she says to the doctor, just going. Just a word about the tight suit. You should should wear it when you're 35 and no longer. Which is great and it's funny. And I'm sure that was the age when David Tennant was uh, in The Runaway Bride. So maybe it's a bit of an inside joke as well. Don't hold me on that. I, I might be a bit off. But uh, but anyway, I thought it was funny. Anyway, yeah, Rob, you may I might, I might be a bit paranoid. But I just think there's uh, something slightly off with Donna. We'll but see, yeah. You we'll think there's something off with Rose as well, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, no, not necessarily off with Rose. I just think that um... she's a bit of a toy maker. Yeah, feels <laughs> like a euphemism for something. Well, yeah, well, she is a toy maker. She makes toys and she sells them to this woman who's obsessed with gonks, <laughs> which, which yeah. I love. Again, it's it's just something across my mind. Oh, Rose, she's a toy maker. Yeah. Is that gonna? Is that a thing or what? It's just something across my mind. I'm not yeah. beyond that. It's just all right. Put a pin in that. That might be something, might not be. We'll see. But We'll see, yes. <laughs> um, so they stop the dagger drive on the ship, which completely reverses the effects of the cracked streets somehow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Uh, they prepare to say goodbye to each other. We think Donna might be dead. I don't know. Uh, unit soldiers come in and they're about to kill them. But what we haven't been seeing off screen is uh, what's going on with Rose. Mm. So she reverses the effects of the the hypnotic state the soldiers are in. And we learn that this meta-crisis thing has been passed down to her. And we get a reference to this binary, non-binary connection. Um, and that's something we got in the recap as well, at the beginning of the story. Whether you like it or not, it's, it's, it's very Russell to kind of go back to something he's referenced and make a big deal out of it, I feel like. <laughs> oh, you're not wrong. It is, ve- yes, it is very um, Russell. It, you know yeah. what, it might, you, on paper, you might have thought, this is genius, it was meant to be. And and whether that whether it was executed or translated well on screen, I guess, is another question. Um, but yeah, I think he thought he was onto something really good. I'm going to name our colours to the mast on this one. <laughs> I think it's crap. It is a bit uh, crap. <laughs> I'm sorry. And it's confusing. Right, this is the bit of the story that I don't like because to me it's just... Conf- right, the the whole... So, when Donna originally left the series, um, 
I thought that was one of the most emotional departings of a of a companion ever. I yeah. cried when I watched it. It brought tears to my eyes. And I would watch it years later and I would still have the same reaction because you had this character who ha- who had no self-worth, no self-confidence at all. And yet, through being with the Doctor, managed to recognise her self-worth and become a much better person. And she, in turn, helped the Doctor. It was It was a genuinely great friendship and she was in a much... Uh, she was in a much she she had her confidence and that all that was taken away from her it's devastating mm. um and and then bring and yet the way that uh i think russell t davis i think has to be commended in the way that he has brought brought the character back and dealt with that issue without feeling that we were cheated in any way because those 15 years she did you know there was something missing from her life yeah and having it brought back, it, it didn't feel. It, I don't think it diminishes what you know her original departure. I think me personally, I think it, it's dealt with really well. And the explanation that we're given, which is perfectly simple, which is it, the meta crisis was too much for one person to deal with, but you're a mother that was passed on. It was shared. Therefore, it's no longer an issue, and everything's hunky dory. Yeah. Great buy that as an explanation makes total sense what then follows is this whole thing about you know as you say rob when he's going into so then we have into the script the whole binary 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 non-binary binary bit. it's just yeah. oh, it's, i'm sorry it's clunky it's crap it doesn't make any sense because because for for one thing we're having the, 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 these line of dialogue going on about how the doctor is um sort of gender fluid and all the rest of it, fine, I haven't got a problem with that. But it's immediately contradicted later on, when basically we have uh, the Donna and Rose effectively, and I mean, I'm, I'm, as a man, I'm biased in this, possibly, <laughs> but basically have the explanation of going, well, we were able to deal with the metacrisis because we're women and men are rubbish. And it's like, and... And and you, Doctor, now being a man, hang on, I just thought you said you were, he, he was gender fluid. Make up your mind. What the hell's going on? Mm. That in itself, it's it's just like it's a mess. It's all over the place, and then it's just sort of having the going. We know everything because we're women, and and you know nothing. Whereas if you were still Jodie Whittaker, you would know everything. And it's like what what is the it, it, crap? Utter utter crap. I also don't. I also don't get how this gender identity comes into the physical effects of the meta crisis, where it's like. The Doctor and Donna, as a unity, was the binary. Rose is either some kind of amalgamation of that or or uh, identifying as different gender. I, d- I didn't uh, quite get the relevance in that. No, no, I even, even Even though I'd like something, I'd like it, if he's going to make a statement, I'd like it to be relevant. Um, I didn't quite get it. Um, yeah, this, this is the bit where this whole thing feels massively shoehorned in. Uh, mm. it, the problem that I have with it is it makes no sense. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I feel, yeah, I feel it, if you want to do representation of gender and identity, I think maybe hit the nail on the head in the first act of these different perspectives and we're having Sylvia there uh, and having a greater understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then this third act, um, I don't know what quite the point was, but 
It, yeah, it was all just cause and effect. It happened. And then it ended up saving Donna's life. Um, what I didn't quite like was when, well, Rose's entire life is a consequence of the Doctor and Donna and the two of them being suppressed into one one being and she's a byproduct of that. And instead of mm. feeling surprise, resentment, shock, horror as a response to that, she just smells and she's like, yeah, from now on, I can finally be me. Um, I don't know, I feel like you'd feel the opposite, like, well, I was, ne- I was never me the whole time. I don't know. Yeah. It, or, or am I, I missing the point of that? No, no, no. I think you actually make uh, some really good points there, and they, they cross my mind as well. I think um, the, this point of the story, it, it just, I think it actually raises more problems and questions than it's attempting to, I don't know, present or solve or something like that. Um, we, there was a, the, it was a big talking point in the, um, what's it called? Doctor Who Unleashed, the, the making of. All right, yeah. Um, cause I keep on, what, cause it was Doctor Who Confidential originally all those years ago. Mm, wasn't yeah. it? I keep on what to call it that. I, so I keep on forgetting what it's called now. Uh, uh, Unleashed, whatever it's called. Anyway, they, they do make a point of the, the dead naming scene earlier on. Um, Yasmin and, uh, Russell, are sitting together and they talk about that scene um and they're talking about the need of representation and, and things like that and I, as i said i think the way that the the story handled this is an issue if you like um was was fine it felt natural you just happen to have this character uh is just introduced it's not seen as an issue um she has a very supportive mother very supportive family Yes, is bullied, but that is seen as as, as being sort of the, the wrong stance to take. Um, and you can still get things wrong with, you know, coming from the right place as long as you're actually su- supporting people. Because we're all human. We, we make errors and all the rest of it. But as long as we're trying to be better people and all the rest of it, that's fine. That part of the story, I think, is great, fine. I just think it, I just think it becomes massively confused at the end of trying to deal with this thing. And it's just, it, it makes no sense. And I, th- I think you uh, you raised a really good point, Rob, which is just actually, uh, if, if you look at how the, the story presents it, it's just going, well, it, it, it was an amalgamation of two different personalities. And it, it was, a, yeah, it's, um, it's an odd one. Yeah. And I, w- I wonder how this has been received by kids and what understanding they have of the mechanics of what's going on or what what's trying to be conveyed as well mm-hmm. but yeah i don't want to get too bogged down in the negatives let's just take the story as a positive as well yeah yeah because i mean on the whole i think this was you know this was a this was a good enjoyable story i just think that the only thing is we, we have this uh this ending which is explaining a big part which is how the meta crisis thing was dealt with we had the beginnings of an explanation which i thought was perfectly sound and made sense and then it sort of like delve into the complexities of gender identity which which contradicted and didn't really make any sense. It's like, well, what point are you trying to make? And the fact that you're basically saying that men are rubbish, it's, I'm sorry, I, I'm not keen on that. But anyway. If it's trying to make a statement, at least it's, I mean, it's, look, it's got us talking about it. And even if we don't empathize with the situation, um, it, 
yeah, we're we're trying to make sense of it, and we've got our point of view. It's it's something that would be interesting in like a bigger forum to talk about, like with other people as well. Um, and I'd like I'd like to hear like other people's perspectives on it as well. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the doctor ejects the meep from the ship, and there's a little like a, a seat with a parachute, and the meep is taken into the Wrath Warriors' custody, and. Kind of swears revenge. So, you know, that this might not be the last we've seen of the meep. And we get a little hint of, like, the two hearts as well. Um, and maybe there's no coincidence that the Doctor and the meep are here and the meep threatens to tell the boss. Cryptic. Next order of business is to sort out Rose and Donna. And this is where um, they just let the Metacrisis energy go. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> so they they return to the TARDIS and the Doctor invites Donna on one last trip. But, you know, she refuses because she's got everything there that she needs. Um, But she doesn't want Rose to go on board because she knows shit's going to happen. I don't want that to happen. But the Doctor suggests, why don't they go see Wilf? Yeah, yeah sounds all right. So she she goes in. Um, and this is when we get the new interior. Mm-hmm. So, first reactions. What's your thoughts? Uh, I like it. Um, it, it. I think it's the biggest TARDIS interior we have ever had. It's yeah. it's massive. It's colossal. It's uh, it's very white. Um, very white. Yeah, and I when I first saw that, I just thought, wow, the logistics of of building that and making it. I had a feeling that every every light would probably be individually controlled that is actually the case um every light is is independently uh programmable um so the 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 mechanics of it is incredibly impressive but the, the is there something it, from the behind the scenes that you've checked out or do you mean from what we've seen on screen no it's um something that i've uh read from from behind the scenes right okay so there's a lot there's a lot of potential there to um have different different color like atmospheres and things and change the mood and change the dynamic for different different scenes and times yeah yeah i do actually think that because we've seen a couple of publicity photos and obviously within that we we actually see that the tardis lights change and so we we see some of it but we've also seen some publicity shots of different colors i actually think it looks better in a different color than the than the harsh white um, I think it looks nice when it's sort of like a nice yellow and just looks a little bit warmer. I prefer that look, but uh, yeah. I, I, I do like it. Um, I would have preferred, I mean, if I'm really going to quibble, because I do think it's an amazing design. I think it's incredibly well put together. I would have liked a, a, a time rotor, which, you know, you can actually see sort of like movable parts and not have a, a not just have a light, but. Oh, was it but, not moving, just static? Yeah. Uh. Yeah, and I think it's just it's sort of like lights which um, sort of like flash and move mm. inside. Yeah, but that's the only thing. I mean, I, I'm really quibbling there because I think, I, me personally, I think it's a good design. As I said, I don't think it's my you know my favorite TARDIS, but I do really like it, and I'm. I think it is a much better uh, TARDIS interior than Tennant's original. Oh yeah, I know um, Russell T Davies and Julie Gardner have said on multiple occasions on like commentaries and stuff that. They are re- they were really limited with regards to what their imagination wanted them to do hmm. uh, with camera movements on the TARDIS uh, and what they could actually do on the set. 
so I, I think they can do a lot more here, especially from what mm. we've seen where the camera pans round when the Doctor's running around. Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot more potential there. Yeah. And with the colours, maybe they'll maybe when like Shooty's Doctor comes along or like the Doctor after that, we might get like a new default colour scheme mm-hmm. where it might not be rest and white. It might be maybe always yellow and then it may be always orange or something. Like orange is a bit of a colour that seems to be fitting in with Shooty's Doctor as well. Yeah, with, with the, the outfit and that sort of like that 70s look that we've been seeing with some of yeah. the... Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about the, the TARDIS a lot more in like future episodes as well. But yeah, first impression was I like it. And there's, it looks like there's a lot of potential there and there's a lot of other doors as well. I know we've always had other doors as, uh, in like later TARDISes, but that didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. But yeah, a lot of potential there. Um, so he gives Donna a coffee. Um, she spills it and blows the TARDIS up. So <laughs> yeah, easy come, easy go. And you know they could end up anywhere in space and time now. Yeah, I thought that was one. It I thought that was a wonderful comic moment of like. But again, Donna's movement. She just seems to. It seems like <laughs> fling it. She just fling it. It looks like a deliberate thing, really. <laughs> mm, that's a. Am I getting paranoid, Rob? Is that is that is that another thing? It was just a bit suspicious, oh. but but anyway, uh, I thought that was uh, I thought it was just like, oh my god, I've done it again, um, <laughs> oh which was great. God. When you think about it, though, Rob, having the last line, we could end up anywhere in time and space. And you're just going. That's the premise of the show. Where's the risk? What the hell are you? T- <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh my god! What? <laughs> Before we get on our ratings of it, let's let's see what other people said for you listening at home we've got a polling station on the website at cloisterbellpodcast.com you can go on and vote good average or bad on stories we'll be reviewing uh, in this case the poll's up for the star beast and you could always revisit it and cast your vote after you've listened as well and we also encourage people to leave their feedback on there so um let's see what we've got um, oh, we actually had a comment from Christopher Brett Hall. He said, it was a fun episode that did everything it needed to do. I think that things were rushed a little bit too much in the final act, but it got most of the things right for me otherwise. Mm-hmm. It kind yeah. of mirrors what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. George has said, I absolutely loved it. I cried from the moment he bumped into Donna and running around the TARDIS. It's like the last 15 years didn't happen. My wife commented on all the new camera angles in the TARDIS as I had moaned all throughout Chibnall's tenure. Oh, so that's interesting that he'd he'd cried from start to finish. I think that's that's really nice that um like this has had the impact on someone who 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 really kind of holds the uh, tenant era like close to the heart almost like mm-hmm. like like it was important to them. Yeah, because it's it's like that that point that you made uh, at the very beginning, Rob. It's it's nice to have Tanner come back because we know he's very popular. But I think you and I didn't have that connection to him that people people had when obviously when they were discovering the show. I mean, he is he is beloved by a lot of people, and having that, um, yeah, it's 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 nice to to see that it is actually having that reaction, as you say. He mentioned all the new camera angles. Um, which yeah, there was limitations in a lot of the earlier 
Russell's shows and um, well, all of them, I guess. But yeah, it's interesting about Jodie's TARDIS. It's a hard one to picture because um, it was very dark and we only got a certain amount of shots. We had the doorway and steps leading up to the console. And over the over the years, we got to see that, wait, wait there were stairs there and we, we didn't quite get the vast s- scope of it, did we? We didn't take a step back and think, oh, this is this is it in the full shot. You couldn't imagine yourself walking around because it's very it was very dark and kind of monotone in the fact that it was the same style everywhere. Yeah, it was a funny because I know that there's quite a lot of people who seem to dislike the that um, designer TARDIS. I really liked it, actually. Yeah, I thought um, I thought it was different and all the rest of it, but I do think yeah, I think it, there was a lack of showing it off to its full potential. Uh, Did we ever think, get like a Tardis Central episode? No, no, we didn't, and that was the other thing as well because we didn't we didn't quite know how, actually how the console worked. It was, it was a bit of a funny one. It felt like there was a lot of potential with that one, which was sadly not met. But um, but I thought it was a nice design. I would actually love to revisit all the 13th Doctor stuff one day. Um, y- yeah. I'll be honest, I haven't revisited um, any of them. People talk about Flux, and there's bits of it that I think, whoa, I, I totally forgot about that. So I'm going to let that settle in my mind, and I'd quite like to watch it all like in its entirety, I think, one day. You know what? I, funny enough, I've been thinking exactly the same thing over the last couple of days because I know that, I mean, we were reviewing it live and there was there were certain aspects of the Jodie Whittaker era we really liked, but I think, um, um, you know, I, I wasn't sort of like mad on the writing side of it. I remember being very frustrated about how Yaz wasn't utilised yeah. as, as well as she could have been. But over the last few days, funnily enough, I have been thinking about, you know, I thought... I thought the science fiction elements maybe diminished, but I thought I was thinking, you know, Rosa was a really good episode, and I really liked the Witchfinders, and yeah, yeah, and just like the, there are certain things that just sort of bobbing in my bobbing in my mind, and it's just like, yeah, maybe, yeah, I would like to actually go back and rewatch that, and um, not be over critical and just relax and take it in. Yes, and it'd just be going. Uh, it'd be nice to hopefully just find much more to enjoy with that one that's the thing with the podcast it's like detrimental on your view ex- <laughs> viewing experience <laughs> yeah so so um yeah so i've been thinking on the same li- uh, wavelength actually on that one yeah should we review them all just kidding <laughs> um so we got a reply from sonia on the website hi sonia i think she'd said on the socials that she didn't get a chance to see it straight away and I didn't as well. Um, I was up with the kids, so I thought I'll put it off to later in the night. Um, so Sonia had said, just finished watching, and wow, it definitely exceeded my expectations. I'm happy about how the Dr. Donna was resolved and really enjoyed Meep the Beep. It was fast-paced, emotional, and Sylvia Noble definitely grew as a mother. Well, there are definitely some odd bits here and there. Overall... I had a great time and I feel a bit better about Tennant being back. It seems like there is some underlying reason for the face coming back. And I'm sure it'll come round by the last special. Overall, great to see the Doctor and Donna together again. Yeah, I agree with yeah. that. It's, yeah. yeah, I think that, that's that's a good optimistic like, outlook on the episode, yeah. 
we've had quite a lot of votes on the on the poll, but um, I think <laughs> now, yeah, the, the the there's a particular vote in in one favour, and I did check in on the on the results, and I noticed on two occasions a huge spike in favour of this one, and I'm thinking we can't have that many visits to the website. Yeah, we don't know if this result is true or not. But yeah, Rob and I have got suspicions. Well, I've certainly got suspicions that the uh, the 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 vote has been. Um, uh, you only went to vote once. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a very dodgy result. And but anyway, very dodgy. But yeah, yeah. For argument's sake, we'll just take it at face value. But. <laughs> Do you want to read the results or shall I? Yeah, okay. Um, so 15% said it was average. 25% said it was good. And a whopping 59% said it was bad. Mm-hmm. It's not just the case that um, the, the result has, has overwhelmingly said it was bad, which we disagree with. It's just the, the, the numbers involved... Uh, it's a lot higher than than recent polls. It's a lot uh, higher, yeah. It's a lot higher. I mean, if you were to ignore the bad option, <laughs> the good good has prevailed over average. Yes, yeah, there, there is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but but as with all polls, the listener opinions don't matter. It ultimately comes down to me and Liam. <laughs> <laughs> Never a true word spoken. Um, I would rate it good. Uh, I remember th- my appreciation of the episode has has decreased from my initial viewing of it. Okay. Um, but I still think it's a good episode. Yeah, um, I can I can picture myself sitting down as an eight year old kid and loving it and mm. being really excited for what's to come. And it had it, it had a lot of fun in there. So, so through a child's eyes, I would have absolutely loved this. Looking back to the tenant era, it's it's like it's a nice treat being brought back there. This kind of thing doesn't happen um, quite a lot in television. So in that regard, it's it's something quite nice. And I think honestly, I, I loved ninety percent of the story and the way it was presented. So um, yeah, I think it's a very it's a very strong good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, did you rate it there? Did you say it was good? Oh yeah, yeah. I said it was good. Yeah. It was just because um, when when I first watched it, I thought, oh, this is really good. I really really like it. Uh, when I was uh, when I rewatched it, um, my reaction wasn't as as high as my initial viewing, but I still think it's a good episode. Uh, keeping in mind as well, since since rewatching it, I have seen uh, the following episode, Wild Blue Yonder, which may have um, affected my opinion on on Star Beast a little bit. But um, yeah, um, yeah, so uh, yeah, um, I tried not to keep that in my mind tonight. And, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with um, that because I, I, I don't think I did. It didn't it didn't impact on my opinion. Um, I just kind of no. totally dismissed it and got. Um, knee deep in this one, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, it was uh, the same for me. I wanted to uh, just you know stick to the points and as Star Beast was presented, but yeah, and I think um the two stories, well, Wild Blue Yonder didn't massively impact what happened in this story, so we were able to kind of like discuss this as a standalone pretty well. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
yeah um so i think we'll wrap it up there if you've made it this far thank you for listening thanks for all your votes some of you uh thanks <laughs> for your feedback um with the nature of us reviewing these so close um we don't have early access on patreon but if you'd like to support the podcast to access bonus episodes support the show and access some early access episodes after the new year and um, you can support us at um, patreon.com forward slash cloisterbell we have a great website with a lot of content on there cloisterbellpodcast.com we're out there on all the podcast platforms or even out there on youtube now but i think that's all the little shout outs there all done you can go and vote in our poll for wild blue yonder and we'll be discussing that soon um in the build-up to christmas but yeah over to you liam uh, yes thanks rob so uh yeah our next podcast will be reviewing wild blue yonder we have although uh the giggle would have been broadcast by this point we have yet to watch it um so i'm looking forward to that yeah but um yeah thank you very much for listening and hopefully you'll tune in next week for wild blue yonder fingers crossed bye-bye bye everyone